University of Louisville understands that their students come from diverse backgrounds with aspirations, drives, and needs to match. With more than 50 online programs in areas like business, education, social work, engineering, and more, Yulevale provides students with a multitude of career advancing options and flexible coursework. Students can complete their coursework from the comfort of their home or on the go via mobile apps. Learn more at louisville.edu slash online. That's louisville.edu slash online. From the University of Central Florida Center for Distributed Learning. And the University of Louisville's Delphi Center for Teaching and Learning. I'm Tom Cavanaugh. And I'm Kelvin Thompson. And you, dear listener, are listening to TopCast, the teaching online podcast. Welcome to our lovely podcast. I uh, hope you like it. Show yourself around. Make yourself at home. Put your feet up. Have a cup of coffee. Do you agree, Kelvin? I agree with all that, especially the uh, have a cup of coffee part. Ah, yes. Now, wait a minute. I just saw you drinking before we hit record out of a completely different mug than what oh. you just leave. <laughs> How many cups of coffee do you have going? That was, that, that was, that was Tim's quick editing on the fly. I mean, that oh, was a jump sure. cut. No, no. No, so, uh, you know, so this, this is my water mug. Oh. And this, this is my coffee mug, as far as you wow. know. As far as I know. Holy cow. So mm -hmm. you're not a water bottle kind of guy. You're a water mug guy. That's right. That's right. Because I get to draw, walk around with my ginormous uh, Batman uh, mug. Right. Always be yourself unless you can be Batman, in which case, be Batman. Yeah. I've got a shirt like that that's too small for me. It says the same thing. Oh, see, the mug's too big for me, so there you go. There you go, yeah. <laughs> Between the two of us, it's just right. Yeah. That's, right. That's, That's funny. <laughs> That's funny. All right, so, well, we might as well just jump into it then, since we started talking about mugs and, mm -hmm. and coffee. Mm -hmm. um, I assume there's some sort of a coffee connection and not a water connection, but mm. you tell me if I'm wrong, Kelvin. What's in the thermos today? Well, uh, my coffee today in the thermos and in the cup, Tom, was sent to me by a colleague from the UK, Neil Mosley. It is a single origin Ethiopia from James Gourmet Coffee based in Herefordshire, England. I believe that's the correct pronunciation. I don't know. Maybe it's Herefordshire, but I don't think they do that. It is so. a particularly tasty cup of coffee, better than most Ethiopias and I love a good single origin Ethiopia, so this is particularly uh, good. So, I told you about the coffee. I wonder if you can find a connection in my mug to today's episode topic. I think I, even I, can find a connection to this one. So we are going to be talking to somebody from overseas, and mm -hmm. what a coincidence, it happens to be Ethiopia. No, it's not Ethiopia. It is the UK, and we are talking to Neil Mosley himself, who provider of the coffee. Thank you, Neil. That's right. So the takeaway for the listeners at home is if you send us coffee, we will interview you on. No, that's not, that's not, that's not true. We will be very appreciative, but we're, we're going to interview Neil anyway, and he was kind enough. We exchanged coffee. I sent him some from Louisville. He sent me some from the, the UK, so it was appropriate to... Herefordshire. I think. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Neil's in, um, actually in Cardiff in Wales. I mean, he's a, he's an uh, an Englishman, but he's in Wales, but the, the coffee actually comes uh, from England, but he gets it somewhere in, uh, in, Ethiopia. in Wales. Yeah. 
now <laughs> came from Ethiopia originally. You, you, be careful, I'm gonna start telling you all about this, this coffee, the, uh, the, why I think it is particularly good. There's some kind of fermentation process. They call it whiny, like, I don't mean like, really? I mean like, it, it's, there's something in the fermentation that they call it a whiny process that is interesting. As in like vintner wine. Yeah, that's right, that's right, yeah. that's right. Interesting, yeah. Cool. So, All right. So, um, as we said, Kelvin, you recently mm -hmm. interviewed our UK colleague, uh, Neil Mosley. Yep. Neil is an education consultant and designer who specializes in digital, online, and distance learning. That sounds familiar. Mm. In addition to consulting with various institutions, Neil is also a popular writer and speaker. He holds the position of Fellow of the Center for Online and Distance Education at the University of London. Prior to his consulting work, he held positions at Imperial College and Cardiff University, which you've already referenced. Mm -hmm. So is there anything special you want to say about the interview or highlight before we uh, listen to it? I, I think it stands on its own. Um, I mean, Neil's a, a good guy, very, very thoughtful, um, got good things to share. It's nice to get somebody from across the pond, as it were. Um, I think as, as long as we're keeping track of international guests, I guess we did have an Australian on one time as well. I was going to mention that, yeah, from Charles Sturt University. That was an interesting adaptive learning conversation. That's right. But uh, we'll, yeah. we'll happily uh, welcome other international expert guests as well, if you send us a pound of coffee, and uh, <laughs> we'll be happy to have you on. <laughs> right. All right. So through the magic of podcast time travel, here is your interview with Neil Mosley. Hi, Neil. So good to have you on TopCast today. It's good to be here, Calvin. Yeah, looking forward to the conversation. So uh, I don't mind saying, I think I told you this uh, off microphone before, I think you're our first guest from the UK. We've had two Canadians, but now you've got UK on the leaderboard. Fantastic. So no pressure. I'm kind of basically holding up the end of the country, so I'll, I'll do my best to represent. <laughs> I have complete confidence in you. <laughs> good, 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 good. So, um, we were we were talking a little bit in, in recent months about you know the similarities and differences uh, of online learning in the UK and the US and I know in particular you've been working on a a maturity model for online education in the UK but I wonder uh, just for level setting for our listeners if you might make just a quick uh, observation or two about how you see similarities and differences, um, since most of our listeners are in the, the U.S., between the, uh, the, the two countries, and, uh, and then what, how that leads into the maturity model. Is that, is that a fair setup? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I guess, <clears throat> I guess one of the big differences that I've observed um, is, I suppose, a different level of maturity in relation to online education, irrespective of the kind of learning design side of things. So, I guess my impression really um, looking across to the US is that perhaps US institutions and universities are a little bit further along in terms of um, online programs and perhaps being invested in online education um, a little bit more. And um, 
you know, particularly that manifested in things like, you know, private partnerships around that side of things. So I've always kind of looked at the US and thought that um, there seems to be more universities, more strategically invested in online education in the US than there there is in the UK. But I think um, that's one element where I think things are, are changing and evolving in the UK. Um, and that's manifested in... Um, you know, universities now looking to more strategically grow portfolios of online education. And we're starting to see the kind of senior roles, the kind of um, directors of online education and provosts of online education coming through, as well as um, universities setting up, um, you know, distinct online arms, so University of X online. So um, I suppose I've perceived a difference in terms of how strategically invested universities are over here in comparison to the US, but I think that's that's changing. Um, so I think I think that's probably the the main difference I observe. Um, and I think you know just going on to um, yeah, I guess what we're going to be talking about a little bit today in terms of learning design um, maturity. Uh, I think. Um, one of the reasons why um, I developed a, a learning design maturity model or framework um, is partly in response to that development, uh, because I think that's one of the drivers for learning design um, and interesting learning design growing in the UK. Um, so we've seen a growth in in the number of learning design roles um, being recruited for in universities, has seen, seen uh, a growth in... Uh, kind of learning design interventions within the design of programs. Um, but I think one of the big things that's kind of generated interest and uh, helped to develop things around that is around modality. So, um, you know, to my earlier point, the, the, the greatest strategic interest in growing online distance learning portfolios and the need of learning designers and learning design in that uh, endeavor but I guess also then coming out of the um, the pandemic and you know blended learning being much more known and adopted and talked about and the, the necessity of design around that so that's that's something on the differences and I guess how um, how they relate to the kind of model that I've I've developed for learning design wonderful well maybe maybe it would be helpful if you could kind of Walk us through in broad brushstrokes your model. As I recall, there are several levels, three levels, and then there are sort of three dimensions of that. Would maybe you talk us through why those uh, dimensions and why those levels and what they are? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So there's, um, like you said, there's three dimensions. So there's level of collaboration, uh, design representation. And then the third one is what I've called evidence and underpinning of decisions and actions. And against all of those dimensions, there's three levels of maturity. Um, and so, you know, my intention really behind this model is to, to try to keep it relatively simple. Like all models and frameworks, I think uh, they're not always perfect or um, all-encompassing, but I think this encapsulated really the, the challenges that I see uh, institutions facing around achieving a greater level of uh, learning design maturity, around 
making really good use of learning design professionals in institutions um, and those having the, the most impact. Um, I think these are these are the kind of three areas of particular challenge that not just universities actually, but all organisations face when they're looking to uh, really kind of embed learning design and more intentional and thoughtful design of courses um, and also kind of creating the space, I suppose, and the conditions for uh, for, for thoughtful and, and the kind of intentional design of, of courses, really. Um, so I, I can kind of pick up each of those in, in turn, really. I mean, I think collaboration is a really, a really kind of important aspect um, because I think... Um, I think it's fair to say that in universities and, and in other organisations, I suppose there's been a kind of a, a maybe a legacy power differential between those who teach and those who are in other professional roles that support that in some way. Uh, and I think one, one um, byproduct of that is that I think learning design professionals can't always bring to bear, you know, the, the full array of their abilities. Um, and I think that can be a real shame and a real uh, waste. Um, and so, you know, I think collaboration is really, really important um, in order to kind of leverage those skills uh, that, that people have. And I think, I guess, allied to that, um, it, certainly in the UK, there's a real growing number of responsibilities on those who teach. Um, you know, it's not simply just the balancing of kind of teaching and research, but there's a whole range of different other responsibilities that come with being an academic in a university. And there's much greater complexity. You know, we've just seen, you know, in the last few months, all of the talk about generative AI and what that might mean for educational experiences. But, you know, that's just one example of, I guess, technology driving a greater level of complexity. So, so I think where collaboration is, is important is uh, in, in utilising the skills of learning designers and those who support, those who teach in higher education. But also I think, uh, you know, it, it's going to be necessary because things are more complicated and there's greater burden on, burdens on those who teach. So it's arguably um, self-preservation and sustainability that that actually there's a there's, a, there's good levels of collaboration and shared trust and parity of esteem between people um, such that kind of learning design can really have I suppose, fertile conditions for um, for its kind of use in universities. So that's kind of level levels of collaborations. That's a big kind of organisational culture change probably aspect. And then there's design representations. I'll just kind of talk to that really briefly. But, you know, th this, this spans from really no main way of of representing the designs of a course you know you might just infer the intentions behind a course based on the materials that have been created um, around that uh, and that's kind of more the sort of level one aspect but in terms of level three we're looking at kind of well-defined uh, means of representing course designs that might take different formats you know they might be more succinct that uh, just maps out maybe learning outcomes. They might be uh, more of a kind of a journey map as students kind of progress through courses. So those are kind of, you know, well-defined means of representing design. And, and, and level three is, is that kind of that suite, that really solid means of communicating the intention um, behind courses. And, and that 
and, and that's a, that also relates, I think, to the collaboration as well, because that gives a means of everyone being involved in that experience, everyone partaking and communicating intent behind that and involving themselves in that. So that also relates to the collaborative aspect. Um, and, and if I just kind of briefly just talk about the last point, which is, you know, potentially a bit more nebulous. So this is um, evidence and underpinning of, of decisions and actions. Um, I think how I describe that, um, the levels really go from limited to kind of some to solid. And I guess how I'd describe that is is now we're, I think we're pretty blessed with um, a lot of evidence and research and information around uh, around learning and about around kind of student experience. So we, we have a lot of um, things to draw upon um, in designing educational experiences. And I think sometimes those things aren't really brought to bear in that work and so this is really a nod to that to say you know are those discussions being had are people grappling with those things and what it means for their courses um are different perspectives being brought in um in terms of the kind of team that might be working on on a course um i i listened to a podcast recently it was talking about a a golden age of learning science and saying, you know, we're really blessed with all this information about and research on how we learn. But the challenge is to get that information and to translate that into uh, educational experiences and have us kind of understand and be able to kind of grapple with that. So that's the kind of model um, in essence, really, and, and um, probably some of the reasoning behind behind it. No, that's very helpful, Neil. Thank you for walking us through that. And and I would imagine, uh, well, one, um, I think a lot of that rings true to me, the the collaboration relationship between, um, as you as you put it, those who teach and um, those other professionals who are um, in complementary uh, roles of various sorts. The the, the design representation I find fascinating, I don't know if this rings true with you, but I've said for many, many years that what I find is online, quote unquote, tends to make the invisible visible, the formerly implicit explicit. So as, you know, design and intentionality and teaching um, becomes more evident, then you're able to kind of step back and look at it and look for improvements, look for gaps and so forth. So that rings true. And then that uh, that evidence and underpinning of decisions and actions, I think it's easy to talk about data. And data certainly, that's a part of the story. There's a quantitative and a qualitative dimension to all of that in a, in a story-ness to it in, a, in an anecdotal sense. And all that, it reminds me of a conversation Tom and I had recently in an episode about institutional context. And uh, there's there's quantitative and qualitative dimensions of, of context. And context has a lot to do, not so much, not so much with the what of this work, but certainly the how, uh, for sure. So I think there's a lot of wisdom in your model. I assume that you find this useful in, um, to put it kind of uh, bluntly, kind of a gap analysis sort of, where where are you now as an institution um, and where are there opportunities to mature and to uh, to refine and to grow? Is that accurate? 
Yeah, absolutely, and absolutely, and I think that's um, that's some of the work that I do with with organisations. I think um, you know my work spans the, the actual learning design work through to uh, supporting organisations and universities in developing processes and developing maturity around these kinds of things. So that certainly does help, and I think this is born out of that work really, and that um, and. and I suppose maybe maybe years of thinking about this when you're going into institutions and you know this is probably the outworking of my mental model of the common challenges that uh, I face so certainly as a gap analysis I think the other the other way in which I find it useful is I think ultimately you know you, you alluded to this Kelvin in terms of institutional context because every institutional context is different and if you're going into an institution um you know, there are certain constraints and parameters that you're ultimately going to work within and that limits impact and it limits where you might get to in the short term and the medium term and long term. And so, you know, this model can be a useful lens for you to evaluate the context that you're in and, and I guess have realistic expectations and aims around what you can achieve, how how far you can turn the dial. So, it, 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 I think that's where I see its its value, and and that that might be a value for you know a learning designer or an instructional designer in their current context to say, you know, where do I think we're at, um, and you know where should I invest my energies? Or uh, so it, it has that kind of dual purpose, I think. I think that's excellent. I was just about to ask uh, what kind of uh, a takeaway as we begin to wrap up uh, might you suggest uh, for our listeners, but I think you just did that, right? I mean, it, 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 this gives us a, uh, a lens uh, or a set of lenses to look uh, at our own work uh, through anew. You know, we, uh, I had a qualitative research uh, instructor once in my grad program who said, uh, you know, we, we always seek to make, make the, the, the familiar strange and the strange familiar. <laughs> that's, that's what we seek to do in, in qualitative uh, research. And I think there's a certain amount of, of that uh, here as well. I, I, I can't tell you how uh, excited I've, I've uh, been to have you join us, Neil. I'm looking forward to staying in touch and maybe having you back on uh, again to, on on this topic and, and on others. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, that would be great, Kelvin. Thank you. So, Kelvin, that was your interview with Neil Mosley. Yeah, good guy, that Neil Mosley. Very thoughtful, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And, the, you know, the whole idea of this kind of framework is is really kind of interesting. Um, mm-hmm. And as, as he was describing it, I was trying to kind of like picture it in my head and how we could potentially apply something like that mm-hmm. in our own individual context. Yeah, and I, I don't think uh, we got into this, uh, but we'll, we'll stick all this in the show notes. But uh, Neil was telling me that, because I asked him, like, we're off mic, like where this came from. And he had been doing some work with um, some institution where it, it crossed into um, building, uh, intersecting architecture and construction and so forth. And there's this construct called building information modeling, uh, especially popular in the UK. And he started thinking, well, what would something like that look like around learning design, online education? So um, 
he's got an article about that um, that's public. We'll put in the show notes, and he's CC licensed his model framework. We'll stick that in the show notes as well if people want to drill down into it further. But that's kind of where it sources back to, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, it kind of remind me, at least as I was listening uh, in my head, to um, like some of the Educause uh, digital learning and other kinds of like benchmarking that they've done mm. where you kind of rate yourselves on kind of a, mm. a, a level of maturity or mm-hmm. or adoption or how mm-hmm. how you know implemented something is on campus and then it ends up with sort of this radar spider chart um, you can see how you oh, compare yeah, yeah, yeah. against mm-hmm. kind of benchmarks and um, that's probably more complex than what Neil was describing which you know, in, to Neil's credit, uh, he even talked about trying to mm-hmm. simplify it and keep right. it kind of at a certain level that doesn't over, you know, complicate it. And I, you know, I appreciate that. Yeah, not perfect, I think he said, but, but still, you know, gives you. Uh, yeah, and I think the other thing is, I think I may have framed it up as like online education, and then he very clearly framed it as like learning design. And but the implications are there for wider implementation. So I think, I think that. You know, he sees like learning design, or we might say instructional design, as a lever toward, you know, more systematic and strategic online education, I I think. But it is still an interesting uh, zoomed in spot about kind of how do we see the work of instructional design? And we've certainly talked about that a lot over the last three years uh, during the pandemic response and so forth, the, the rise of the instructional designer, as it were, and... So I think that's 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 a that's a really interesting zoom in, right? The mm-hmm. collaboration thing, the the uh, uh, the design representation, and then that you know what evidence underpinning decision making is there? But it seems to all center around learning design or instructional design. Yeah, yeah, that's what that's what it seems to me. Um, and I, I like the fact that there was kind of an element of like evidence mm-hmm. that. I think the word was underpinning it or something, Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. that um, I think it's important not to kind of just talk in abstracts, but to also kind of ground it in, like, here's an example. Mm. Cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also, probably worth reiterating um, Neil's closing comment, just so it doesn't uh, get lost, because I I said, I was going to ask you to wrap up and... And uh, you already did. See ya. Bye. And and I, I would hate for that to get lost in the shuffle. And I think that's the idea of instructional designers just individually using this framework in their current situations to guide them wisely in where to invest their energy for the most benefit in pushing our collective work forward. And I think I think the implication of that is if you're if you're organizations already doing pretty well in one dimension, maybe that's not where you need to be expending your energy, I think is the way I would mm-hmm. use that, I think. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And, and you know, I think it's also probably consistent with kind of how he said that, uh, you know, maybe he felt like the, the, the state of online learning in the UK wasn't quite as mature as in the US, but that's changing. Mm-hmm. So there might be areas where certain institutions are doing better than than others. And to your point, maybe like focus on those areas that you really need to develop um, mm-hmm. if you had to prioritize. Yeah, I think that I think that's right. 
Shall I uh, try to put the metaphorical plane on the metaphorical tarmac? Let's, let's see if we can bring this one in for a landing. So we might say that while institutional contexts vary greatly, we've been talking a lot about institutional context, common approaches to conceptualizing and classifying our online education work, such as Neil's framework, they're very helpful in gauging where we are now and how we can advance our work successfully. How's that? That sounds good. Sounds like it uh, is a nice bow on the plane, so to speak. Happy to birthday. Mm -hmm. So do you, do you mind indulging me in a plug? Plug away. But here's what's different. It's not even a plug for us. It's what? a plug for somebody else. Um, and as we are prone to do sometimes, we like to make our listeners aware of other podcasts that we mm -hmm. think are worth listening to on mm -hmm. occasion or mm -hmm. maybe even all the time. And um, <laughs> this one is one that I actually appeared on as it launched. I think I was the first guest, which was mm. sort of nice to be asked. And uh, I think they're, they're doing a good job. So um, we're going we're gonna, to uh, put a little spotlight on the Teach and Learn podcast. So Teach and Learn is a podcast for curious educators hosted by our friend, Dr. Christy Ford. Mm -hmm. The show features candid conversations with some of the sharpest minds in the K-20 education space. Join Christy every two weeks as she discusses trending educational topics, teaching strategies, and delves into the issues plaguing schools and higher education institutions today. So take a listen. Christy's good people. Christy has actually been a guest on this show mm -hmm. in the past. So um, yeah, we're happy to, to give her a plug here. Indeed. Cool. All right. Well, Kelvin, um, thank you for the interview with Neil. Neil, thank you for being on and for sharing your coffee. Uh, until next time, for TopCast, I'm Tom. I'm Kelvin. See ya.